You are listening to a Geek Network interview. Be sure to hit the follow button to get notified when a new episode is available. You can also visit us at geek-network.com for your guide to the geek entertainment news you love. Created for geeks, by geeks, and remember to always geek responsibly. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us for another Fandom Sessions here at Geek Network. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Chris Mancini. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I just have so many questions for you, not <laughs> just in regards to your, uh, you know, your book that's coming out, but also from previous projects you have worked on. But enough about me. So it was actually much- very little about you. well i mean all these questions will answer everything about (laughs) you (laughs) and just to you know kind of sort of kick things off for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work can you just tell us a little bit about yourself absolutely i've been in the um, entertainment industry for uh, quite some time Uh, i don't like to count the years as i uh, look back (laughs) but uh, i started as a stand-up comic uh, on the east coast and i uh, also went to film school there so i was kind of had a dual track of like storytelling and making people laugh and i came out to la and worked uh, in some tv and movies and uh, a lot of independent film and um I transitioned about uh, 10 to 15 years ago into podcasting, and I've been working on Comedy Film Nerds. We did a documentary, Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, and also I was one of the co-creators of the first podcast festival, LA uh, PodFest, that ran for about five to six years. And then um, in 2020, uh, I started a new company to focus on what I really wanted to do, which was um, storytelling. You know, the, the year of the pandemic, so it's a great time to start a new uh, company. So it was perfect. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I concentrated on um, some storytelling podcasts. I focused a lot more on to graphic novels and different types of storytelling and how I could kind of do things a little differently and created a podcast to kind of uh, also because everything was going on. I wanted to give a, a podcast that could actually help people too, like to help them with anxiety and insomnia, but also be a storytelling podcast. Mm-hmm. So I created the Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood, which is still going and going strong and growing now from uh, 2020, as well as I really wanted to focus on doing more comics and graphic novels and writing more movies and TV shows and uh, focus on what I really love doing, telling stories. And I focus more on like genre storytelling, like mm-hmm. uh, science fiction, fantasy, but also comedy and I uh, and horror and I intermix them. Uh, periodically <laughs> so occasionally it's a horror comedy it's a fantasy comedy but sometimes it's straight horror i have a straight horror twilight zone podcast too that i do as well as um some kind of uh, uh movies and uh, uh comics that i'm developing that are also straight horror too i like to kind of mix things up but it, at the core it, it's still storytelling and it's still um human journeys and human nature is really what i mean the 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 quote of the company is pretty much um outer world's inner journey so no matter how crazy the story gets it always kind of pulls back to the human condition and the the uh the human story underneath that's amazing that's actually a really good message to have not only for your company but as a whole that's that's actually pretty awesome (laughs) (laughs) thank you 
And I just want to start off with a little icebreaker. I'm pretty sure we'll get it, uh, dive into it a little bit more uh, with your new book coming out, uh, Kung Fu Dragon Master. Um, and again, I have follow-up questions for that. But what is all-time favorite 80s action movie? Oh, there are so many to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got to probably go with the classic Die Hard because it just did so many things that were also unexpected. It was funny. It was just, you know, and it was, there's debate whether it's a Christmas movie. Don't care if it's a Christmas movie <laughs> or not. It's just, a, it's really fun. Bruce Willis is amazing. And I think that's uh, the original Die Hard is still, I think, one of my favorites. I mean, of course, the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff is always good, too. I mean, right. I'm still a big fan of Conan the Barbarian, the original one that Oliver Stone wrote that uh, with James Earl Jones <laughs> that people don't even think exists, but it does. And uh, so there, there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> and that just opened up a whole book of questions. So I'll ask <laughs> it too. <laughs> but also, uh, you kind of touched a little bit on the action movies, but anything in particular, because you uh, the book on any website I've seen, like Barnes & Noble and that sort of thing, uh, on your website is that Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master uh, combines action, comedy, also buddy movies from the 80s. So what all blended that together? Any particular source material that put it all together? Well, to, to start off, I am stuck in the 80s, Daniel. So that was kind of like <laughs> my... Uh... <laughs> the way I kind of started, but I thought of all the things that I kind of loved uh, growing up, the um, 80s action movies, the buddy comedies, but also Big Trouble in Little China was great, the way it kind of mixed all of those things together. And I, I always saw like with movies like that, oh, you don't have to kind of stay in the genre lane. I mean, you can't go too far uh, on, on one side or the other, obviously, but you could kind of like thread the needle and have something that's fun and funny and action packed and all of these things kind of together, but ha and have fantasy and monsters and dragons and put all of these things in like a really fun mix. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of pull all of the things that I enjoyed watching and uh, consuming and put them out into uh, one book. So it, it was kind of a mix of materials and subject matter that just kind of like got blended together in my head and then came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as a screenplay writer to comic book writer, like, you know, what are your thoughts or how do you feel like what influenced the 80s to uh, movies eventually, you know, having that evolution from 90s to where we are now? There, there's a lot of things that kind of like evolved and changed. And also as we kind of get more, um, uh, you know, we get a lot more retro projects and nostalgic projects. A lot of it's actually coming back, which is really interesting. <laughs> uh, I mean, you had The Wedding Singer, the Adam Sandler movie, but that was kind of like a one-off. But it was really Stranger Things that just kind of opened the floodgates for a lot of nostalgia mm -hmm. projects. Like, if you didn't have Stranger Things, I don't think you would have had Cobra Kai. Like, you know, the, you That's just right. see the way things just kind of opened up. But what really um, excites me about these projects is when they're um, done in a loving um, uh, fashion, like you could tell there was a love for the 80s there and there was a love for the original material in Cobra Kai. But then you've got like, you know, every once in a while you get like Wonder Woman 2, which was a disaster. And part of it was set in the 80s. And I'm like, well, I don't even think they... <laughs> hired anybody to do hair and, and wardrobe it doesn't even there, there's no attention to detail at all here so i i think what it is is um 
um, when you find that mix of like um, modern but also nostalgic, I think that's the stuff that really I think um, hits me the you know the most, and I, I get the most engaged. Like, mm-hmm. so I always wanted to kind of add those modern feels and touches to a retro project, like like uh, like Cobra Kai is the probably the best example. You've got all this nostalgia, mm-hmm. but you know Johnny and they're all in the world right now and how they're dealing with it with an 80 sensibility. It's hilarious. And um, I, I like characters that are stuck, <laughs> which really, um, because that's where a lot of the fun and the humor is, you know, you have characters that like they're this way and they really shouldn't be this way. And it takes them longer to arc and to get where they need to be because that, that makes the journey longer, especially if they're, um, they're just refusing, not only, as I call it, not only refusing the call to adventure, just hanging up. Mm-hmm. They're like, not not interested. So. <laughs> this is a big show for me, but have you ever, you know, being a parent and being a writer, have you ever watched regular show? Regular show. I'm trying to think. I think my son watches that one. Is that the one with the weird bird? The bird and the raccoon. Uh, the only reason I ask is because there's a ton of 80s references in that show and i just love you know catching the references so that show was also made with a lot of love you know for the 80s so that's why i brought it up oh i'll have to check it out i never really um my son and i never really watched that one too much there was the uh, there was another one he watched all the time that had like a the a rabbit father that was kind of like homer simpson and i I can't. And I had all these mixed media things where some characters were like <laughs> live action and some characters were animated. I can't remember. Oh, Gumball. Gumball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that, that show too. One. Yeah. That one's insane. We, we've enjoyed <laughs> that one together for sure. And that one gets uh, pretty dark at times too. <laughs> it does. It does. Surprisingly. I'm like, I'm like laughing. And then my wife came in and we started laughing too. And we're like, this show is, how did this get through the censors? Some of the stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> And since brought up the 80s again, any like particular 80s music from like hair metal to what they called metal at that time to pop music, synth wave that, you know, really kept you focused and uh, influenced this book? That's an interesting question. I would probably say no for the music, (laughs) (laughs) even though, you know, the 80s is a very specific synth pop time with, you know, you've got Duran Duran and all of these these amazing bands. But uh, I remember I was listening more to like um, the metal, like I was into like Metallica and like the prog metal, like uh, Queensryche and all of that (laughs) that crazy uh, stuff that was like anti-hair band and anti-hair metal it was like the the ones that were diving a little deeper so i would uh i would listen to those but then you know i would also you know listen to the radio and it would just play you know jay giles band every four minutes so that was always fun too or poison <laughs> yeah or poison exactly yeah <laughs> i think my first concert was uh judas priest i think they were the first people and no you know that's way. not even that's not even fair because i think they started in like the late 70s so <laughs> But I mean, Rob, even with uh, Judas Priest, like they've all kind of changed their while still keeping their true original sound. They still change in a way that it still flows really well together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, traditional comics are released monthly as a se- uh, separate issues. What made you want to go uh, the graphic novel route and drop it all at once? 
Um, there yeah. was a number of reasons, and it also created a number of obstacles <laughs> as well. Oh, no. Uh, because when you're creating a much larger book, it's more expensive, and you have to raise more money on Kickstarter. You have to pay you know, the, the artist and the letterer more, and then there's higher costs on book production. But it really boiled down, because I've gotten this question a couple of times, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> is the way I've, I write. And I write like, um, you know, I come from a more traditional you know, screenplay and, you know, occasionally teleplay where it's more longer form where I don't mm -hmm. break up into issues. I mean, I can, but I prefer to write things all at once and write them like movies, like long ago and far away. I plan it as like a three, you know, book trilogy, rise of the Kung Fu dragon master. It's going to be a three book trilogy. And as I'm stuck in the eighties, you could probably imagine what the other two titles are going to be. It's going to be fall <laughs> of the Kung Fu dragon master and return of the kung fu the dragon master yes <laughs> but one of the uh for long ago and far away it actually did get picked up at starburns and broken up into eight issues but you know they're no longer publishing so i <laughs> got everything back and i realized it's just not worth it for me to pursue the um getting it back to like eight floppies it's just i've got the book and i've really been concentrating on just the graphic novels and i the other thing too is just a personal preference i like getting everything at once like you know you release like a bunch of floppies then you get the trade paperback after that and i know it's a financial model but for me i always like well let me just give me the book with the whole story and all the extras and then i only have to buy one thing so i also kind of modeled it after what i kind of want like i like having the whole story i like having the extras at the back like with the pinups and the the sketch pages and occasionally like a side story like i like those deluxe editions so i'd rather kind of skip to those but with the market being what it is and financially with all of the paper shortages and mm -hmm. you know all, everything going up it, it, it's definitely harder and you have to raise more in kickstarter so it's a larger ask so i'm trying to kind of find that sweet spot where i could give people a, a larger book, but also make it financially viable. So, so I'm kind of in that middle ground where I'm still figuring that out completely. Also, would you say that uh, Netflix has pretty much spoiled us because with Hulu, HBO Max, Prime, they drop everything weekly when Netflix is just like, here, have it all at once. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's different ways to consume content where, you know, here's it all at once, but here now we're going to kind of dole it out per week. And, you know, if you're if you're charging people per month on a subscription model, it may be in your best financial interest to stretch that time out as long as possible. <laughs> so as everyone's kind of figuring that out, even Netflix is starting to say, well, no, we always want to give you all at once. And then you realize that, oh, wait a minute you're breaking up seasons like like uh, they did with Stranger Things. And I think you're going to see more of that even on Netflix. I just think that they're trying to milk. Well, yeah, to go to that point, they're trying to milk Stranger Things for what it is. And like, oh, it's one of our most successful series. So, you know, yes. let's keep Netflix subscriptions going on for as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And also, uh, what impression are you hoping that Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master will leave on its readers? I want to leave a couple of impressions. One of them is that I want to give like a real sense of fun where you have a a a story that is going to make you laugh, but engage you with the characters. Uh, it's going to be exciting, action packed and just leave you kind of with a smile on your face at the end. <laughs> but also, you know, underneath there is some themes under there that I also hope get through as well with uh, um, especially the 
Western philosophy of always being angry all the time at everything. And <laughs> uh, so th there's a lot of kind of commentary where like, well, if someone is kind of set in their ways, can they change? Can they grow? How open are we to change? How open are we to if we've been hurt and damaged and we're angry all the time? Can we let that go? Like, as we work on ourselves throughout our lives, you know, is it possible to change and improve our lives by letting go a lot of those negative things? So there, there's a lot of kind of underlying themes like that under there as well. Nice. Also, uh, touch a little bit on that. Can we eventually find inner peace with ourselves when we do more learning and growing? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when you kind of get outside yourself and you and and, and over <laughs> yourself. So yeah. <laughs> also, I forgot to drop this up, but don't forget that you can actually reserve your copy on Amazon.com or, you know, visit your local comic shop on March 15th to grab your copy of Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. <laughs> It won't be in comic shops just yet, but it will be okay. on Amazon digitally. And if you want signed copies, you could go to my website and I will um, I'll send that out to you as well. Uh, and then you can catch me at a couple cons. We're, we're talking to a couple publishers now, but we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> right now. It's a <laughs> direct sales, as it were. Gotcha. OK. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's also on uh, Global Comics and also on uh, Drive Through Comics, too. There you go. That's the other plug we needed. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> Reading your uh, your bio, just, you know, I like to do my research thoroughly before actually conducting an interview. Uh, when you were 12, you made your first stop motion film. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And what is that, <laughs> sure. actually, you know, holding back that sequel? <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, that's, you know, Hollywood bullshit. What can I tell you? Yes. <laughs> so I... I thought it when I was 12, it would be fun to bring all of my toys to school and then, you know, pretend that was part of my learning experience. So I brought all of my matchbox cars, all of my army men, uh, like this little city playset that I had and uh, some friends, uh, my, my buddy uh, Dave Schmidt, he um, brought a um, uh, clay and we made basically a blob movie, a stop motion blob movie about a blob that gets larger and larger as it, you know, eats a town and then the military gets called in. And one of my friends somehow got a hold of like some black powder, like a little and we lit it and exploded the blob on the last scene. And I'm pretty sure no kid would be able to do that today <laughs> at 12. <laughs> so it was a simpler time back then, Daniel. And uh, but what what's uh, you can actually check it out on YouTube. It's called Another Blob Movie. But what was really amazing about it is my buddy Dave, who's unfortunately passed away, he became a, a sound designer and he actually went in, I think it was 30 years later, and put a whole soundtrack to the movie. And then I called one of my composer friends and he put a whole a score to the movie. So there's <laughs> this there's this great like animated um, another blob movie that I think it's on the comedy film nerds YouTube um, and you could check it out. But like all that, all those things were added like years <laughs> later as we got into the business. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> I'll definitely have to check it out. I thought it was just uh, some sort of lost media that nobody can find. <laughs> I was actually able to find it and transfer it. So it's actually on YouTube somewhere. But I, like I said, I think it's on the Comedy Film Nerds uh, YouTube page. You could check it out there. It's it's really fun. It's, it's you know, even though it's something I did at 12, still proud of it. I, uh, <laughs> because it's the probably the only one that, you know, that you only the, the only movie that you make at 12 that has a professional soundtrack afterwards, 30 years later. <laughs> definitely will have to check it out 
And Chris, your your credits range on IMDb from different projects to wearing multiple hats, such as writing and directing, producing. But you've written a lot as well. From comics to soap operas, uh, uh, parenting books, and horror, you said these topics are more related than we think. Can you explain how (laughs) they're all closely related? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's there's always that old saying of like, you know, there's – uh, like as Daniel Handler says, there, there's there's two stories. A stranger comes to town, or someone goes on a journey, and then you know they joke. Well, that's still the same story. It's uh, uh, stories are universal. It's the tone that changes. You have a compelling story, and if you're making someone laugh, or if you're terrifying them in horror, it's you're still evoking an emotional response. It's the same. It's two sides of the same coin. And mm-hmm. I always kind of manipulate that a little bit and go back and forth, even though even if I stay hard, there's always that kind of undercurrent of like, this is definitely off-putting. Or even if it's, if you're laughing every once in a while, I'll put something in that might be a little uncomfortable that makes you think. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's, it has to do with the overall, just overarching um, craft of just telling stories. And, you know, there you can make an emotional response depending on what what kind of, of story you're telling and you can and if you are very careful you could kind of make that emotional response change as you're telling the story and uh, that's why i kind of say that like you know it's they're all kind of related because you you know you're telling a story uh, you're evoking an emotional response and it's the content that matters not really which emotion you're evoking okay all right i can see that oh thank you and being a parent is terrifying. So that's the other thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> very uh, relatable, I'm sure. <laughs> I can only imagine. Not a parent myself, but mm-hmm. I've heard horror stories, not only <laughs> from what you're saying, but from yeah. everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's the, I mean, well, I wrote a book about that, too. That's a, <laughs> that's a pacify me, the handbook for the freaked out new dad that... And that was kind of like my journey of, um, of becoming a parent. And, you know, when people asked, uh, you know, well, is having kids worth it? And I say, honestly, almost. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's great. And and that was one of the weird things that like in this business where I wrote a proposal and then a publisher like bought it on the first try. I'm like, oh, man, I, w- I wish it would always work this way. <laughs> so, so Simon and Schuster published that uh, um, a couple of years ago. So. Uh, but that's, you know, that that's but as as you were saying before, it's like when I look at like storytelling and how it relates to our lives and, you know, we're all the heroes of our own story. It's it, it all relates it all. All of the kind of the tendrils kind of, uh, you know, can combine together if you just kind of take a step back and look at everything. Awesome. IMDb also has you credited as a writer for Earbuds, the podcasting documentary that you lightly touched on earlier. Yes. How does one get credited as a writer? Um, th- does that mean that you re- actually wrote some of the segments or uh, some of the dialogue or how to like kind of segue into the next conversation or the next scene for it? Yes. It's all of those things, actually. It's uh, with a documentary, a lot of it is trying to put together and finding the story and the narrative thread because you have a bunch of footage and you may have a loose idea where you want to go with it. But the way things are put together and the way kind of the uh, documentary narrative flows, 
as well as writing the copy that, you know, and the voiceover and the conclusions and all of those things kind of combine to a writing credit. And that's something we did under uh, Comedy Film Nerds. So we're very proud of that one as well. That was a real moment in time when podcasting was really reaching its peak. I and mean, we've got like a lot of people in it, like uh, Joe Rogan, Aisha Tyler, Mark Marin, And uh, but the thing that amazed me the most about that connection between podcaster and uh um, listener is, you know, it's a personal connection that doesn't exist in any other medium. And that's really what we kind of explored in the documentary. We went to Japan and we went to Australia and we met a miner in Australia that was one of our fans. And I'm like, you know, you never would think we're in the middle of nowhere and uh, somebody's listening to us talk about movies. And it was really amazing. And it was an incredible experience in my life for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And with all the tools that are now readily accessible, if you think about it, podcasting is more like uh, the radio broadcasting of the world now, because anybody, if they have iTunes, they have Spotify, uh, they have the podcast app on their iPhone, they can download the content and just listen to it on the go or wherever yes. they want to. <laughs> yeah. And it's also an easy entry point for creators. Like if you want to talk and you want to do an interview show, but if you want to do something scripted, there's no gatekeepers. You could put things together on your own and then get it out there. I mean, you're you know, you're paying a hosting company a couple bucks a month, and that's pretty much it, you know, once you buy your mm -hmm. equipment and all those things. So it's a very low barrier to entry. Uh, to, whereas independent filmmaking or something like that, while it's gone down, it's still considerably higher yeah. than uh, podcasting. Right. And Mark Marin actually, um, you've been on his podcast as well. Yes. Was this after uh, you know, your documentary, or did he reach out to you beforehand to be part of his show? I'm trying to remember the timeline now. I think it was we were on there before talking about, I think, the Academy Awards because we we were doing a special. And then we had been on there, I think, one or two times after that to talk about the doc. And then we just had him in on the uh, 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 and we interviewed him a, a couple of times for the documentary. And we, of mm -hmm. course, he was one of the um, uh, the headlining performers for the podcast festival. So, yeah, so we've we, we've um, we've interacted a number of times for sure. <laughs> awesome. So this is a popular podcaster and major influence in geek culture uh, would be Michael Rosenbaum. Is there any specific reason why he was not involved in the uh, earbuds documentary or conversation at all? Or did he try to reach out to him? No, there was a um, there was a reason, you know, we get this question a lot, like, why wasn't this podcaster or why wasn't this podcaster involved? And one of them was bandwidth. I mean, we just didn't have the time to interview or reach out to everybody. Uh, the other issue was a lot of times we did reach out to people and they said no. So it was in it's in one of those two answers. <laughs> we either reached out <laughs> and he said no, or we were just overwhelmed and we we just couldn't get to everyone. Okay. And you lightly did touch on this uh, earlier because you wanted to do something that you truly loved. So any other particular reasons uh, that you wanted to start, uh, start White Cat Entertainment and what challenges besides the pandemic that you touched about earlier, uh, you know, did you face and why the name White Cat? There was a the first reason, like, obviously, is because I wanted to create a storytelling company and do what I, I love doing the most. And the challenges were many, but I did have a lot of experience from running comedy film nerds. And because uh, that was not just a podcast, it was also a site and a store and a company and a production company. So I kind of had this experience on how to set everything up and create a store and uh, um, do kind of all the uh, just the setup 
things that need to be done. The the infrastructure, I mean, even so a lot of us, you know, are working out of small offices or <laughs> our garages or basements or whatever. It's uh, there's still infrastructure that needs to be built, even if it's mm-hmm. all virtual and digital. So I kind of had that experience. But with the pandemic, everyone was either not working or they were too busy or they were you know, <laughs> going through a lot of personal shit. So it was a lot of uh, or they had lost their jobs. Or, and so it, it was kind of a mess to kind of get everything put together. It was not great timing. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> um, the only good timing was that people really kind of needed the show that I was creating to, you know, reduce anxiety and help them sleep. And that was one of the reasons I created. That was the first new piece of content that I created. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not just a uh, creator. I'm also a client. I listen to it, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> to, um, sometimes when I'm editing, it actually puts me to sleep. So I have to rewind and uh, listen to it again. Because the, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> the composer and sound designer, Ron Tansky, does such a good job of creating these um, um, immersive, like, soundscapes as I'm talking that, you know, I, it's, it just feels like you're there and you, you drift off. So there was something else you touched on, too. I can't remember now. The third part of your question was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why did you, you name the production oh, why, why, company okay. White Cat? Yes. Uh, you know, th- this is, um, I put this on my website because I was trying to think of a, a name for the company that just kind of, you know, said what I wanted to do. And then I was talking to some marketing people and then they're like, well, what's personal to you? And uh, what was personal to me is I had a, a white cat. Uh, her name was Avatar and she lived for almost 21 years. So, oh, wow. which, which is very long for a cat. And she would be my writing partner, basically, where I would write and she would come into the room and sit in her house and just stay with me the entire time. And she was just a really affectionate, loving cat. And I always felt like, you know, she was kind of part of the story and part of the process. So I wanted to kind of honor her and just call it White Cat Entertainment. And then from a a marketing perspective, a marketing uh, buddy said to me, like, well, it's an empty vessel, so you can kind of make it whatever you want. So it doesn't have to uh, denote one thing. And I'm like, okay, well, that I'm sold. That's that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I want to kind of honor my old cat and uh, um, create an empty vessel for storytelling that I could just kind of fill up with what I want to do. It's very sweet. (laughs) And also with your uh, field of work as a podcaster, what has been your proudest moment or biggest accomplishment thus far? You know, we've had some great shows at like festivals that have been fantastic. Like we had Will Wheaton on a live show. We had Janine Garofalo on a live show for for Comedy Film Nerds. But I think, you know, creating LA Podfest as hard as it was to, to make that um, to have all the fans kind of come together. I mean, people were in tears that it existed when we started. Like the diehard oh. fans were like super excited to be there. And uh, it was that was when you kind of know that you're really helping people and, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're affecting positive change in their lives. You can give them an escape, a place to go to listen to all the people that they listen to all the time. But mainly, I think the most gratifying is the thing that we explored in the documentary is how you know we've been able to help people with everything from mental illness to just you know hard times in their lives and i think will um anderson a comedian from australia said you know you're in people's ears you're going with them on their great adventures and even you know and also when they have um, difficult times in their lives so for us to be able to even if whether we're talking about movies or if I have like a specific anti-anxiety podcast or I can make people laugh on another show, um, if, if we're helping people get through the day or just making someone's lives a little bit easier, I mean, that's I always want to try to entertain 
and help <laughs> if, if I can with yeah. everything that I do. And to me, that's the most satisfying um, for sure. And, you know, occasionally when you can make some money doing it, that's good too, but uh, that always helps out. <laughs> yeah. But as, as you're doing um, art, you realize it's, you know, if you're doing it solely for the money, then it's not art. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it loses that uh, sincerity. So we always, <laughs> You always, I did. I tell podcasters and creators this too. Don't just try to make something you think will sell. Make something mm -hmm. that you're passionate about that you really want to do, and uh, um, the monetization will be easier over time because it's it's a more sincere thing. Right, and uh, I've seen Kevin Smith live multiple times. Gone to one of his Q and As, and he actually said the very exact same words that you said. He's like, "Don't get into podcasting for the money." do it as a passion something that you truly love and the rest will just cut will follow through you'll either have your fandom you'll build build your fan base he's up but no it's not about the money <laughs> right mm -hmm. and, and you always get those kind of like you um moments of like god is anybody listening is anybody buying anything and do, do people even remember what i am or what i'm <laughs> doing or who i am and then at the arizona comic-con that you know we we were mentioning earlier mm -hmm. um um, a fan came up to me and mentioned that he remembered something I said to him in an elevator at LA Podfest, you know, oh, like <laughs> over a decade ago. I'm like, wow, okay, maybe I did make an impression. You truly do. And it's those moments that are, you know, I would say truly like empowering, but like, oh my God, that's amazing that you remember that, you know, as long yeah. as it wasn't a negative thing that you said to that right, said exactly. person. <laughs> yeah. Someone comes over and throws water on you or something. But I, I remember another moment like that too. We were shooting earbuds in Japan and I think we were in Kamakura where the big, uh, uh um buddha statue is mm -hmm. and we're shooting and we hear hi chris hi graham we turn around we got recognized in japan <laughs> of all places <laughs> i'm thinking we don't get recognized in la and we we got recognized in japan it was a uh, an expat teacher who lived there and just happened to be there the same day and had actually been to la podfest he flew in mm -hmm. uh so he, he recognized us even we were shooting <laughs> So it was, it was hilarious. Just those moments um, that, that are really fun. <laughs> I bet. And uh, your IMDb says this, uh, I believe your LinkedIn and Google also says this, you know, you're again, podcasting, parenting, directing, interviewing, hosting great shows. So how do you find, you know, the, all the time to just make all of this happen? I don't, I'm stretched horribly thin, Daniel. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, with being a parent and, and uh, doing all of these things, it, it's one of the problems I've always seemed to have, like, you know, my, you know, my eyes are always bigger <laughs> than my appetite. Uh, so I think one of the things, too, that I wanted to try with the new company is to just try to focus more on what I wanted to do. And I, I've slowly started to do that. But I still fall into the same traps every once in a while. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing too many things. Like, I have an interview show, show um, What Are You Watching?, Mm -hmm. And it was a weekly show. I'm like, I can't do all this and get my writing done. And I just um, announced that I'm going down to just those for twice a month. And uh, that suddenly freed up a lot more time that I could work on more writing and pitches and uh, more more books. And I'm doing a sequel to the long to long ago and far away that I'm writing now. And uh, I realized that uh, sometimes it's hard to let things go or to <laughs> step back, but it's a lot of times it's for your own good. So I'm already kind of like realizing that refocusing, you know, the limited bandwidth that I have is, is, um, a good thing. 
And also just from all the numerous guests you've had on your podcast, working on doc on the documentary, who left you feeling the most empowered or over overly proud to have on? You know, it's interesting. We, we've had so many amazing um, guests on from comedians to producers to writers. Uh, and every once in a while, you know, we just have like other podcasters or we'll have somebody that's just like, you know, a fan on or something like that. And you get like a real deep dive into the other side of the community when you talk to someone who is just starting out because you inspired them to create their own podcast or something like that. And I think mm -hmm. that is probably the most rewarding, you know, because you can talk to, you know, famous celebrities and talk about their success all day long. And there's there's plenty of them and, and it's great. And some of them are <laughs> absolutely amazing and, and they're incredibly generous with their um, time and uh, knowledge. Uh, but if you get onto the other side where it's somebody who's just kind of starting out and they've been inspired and you're actually kind of excited to see what they're going to create. Um, so it's definitely a mix of seeing what your famous friends are doing and uh, getting excited <laughs> for that and also excited to see what the next generation is going to come up with. So I think it's kind of a mix of those things. Okay. That's still pretty awesome. That. <laughs> Love that answer. <laughs> And how do you handle the promotion for new content coming out, um, like Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master, especially with the way social media is now, uh, having to do Kickstarters or GoFundMes, uh, you know, crowdsourcing? How do you, you know, occasionally come up with the way to just advertise your work and make sure the word gets out? Well, full disclosure, I haven't completely um, unlocked that lock yet. <laughs> as a, as a, one of the problems, too, is like when you just figure out how it works, like six months later, it may change. So, um, but it's a mix of socials and, and um, you know, activating your own fan base and mailing lists. And, uh, and I, I'm going to be the first to win. I, I'm not 100% great at the promotion part. And also um, where to spend money. Where do you spend it on advertising? Where do you spend it on PR? And if you spend too much, then you don't have enough to you know, make the book or, or whatever. So it's definitely a balancing act. And one of the things that I'm just starting to get into is the um, return on going to conventions and selling books directly to people, which I haven't done before. I just started and uh, right. which has been really great from a perspective of like getting your product and your content out there. But, you know, I'm not at the I mean, I've just started. So I'm, I'm curious to see like what the financial benefits will be too. like. Can you? turn a profit? Can you make these trips, you know, worthwhile? Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, or is, are you breaking even, but also improving your branding? Like it's, it's a whole, it, it's a, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, <laughs> that's for sure. But it, it's, you know, there's, there's no, anyone who tells you exactly what you need to do to promote your work is lying. And <laughs> because everything is fluid, everything's changing. What may work for one person may not work for someone else. Um, there are definitely guidelines that, you know, that you can follow and like, here's what you do on socials. Here's what a PR person can do. Here's what marketing dollars, where you might be spend them here, but don't spend them here. And a lot of it's trial and error. You know, you, you spend money that might go into a hole and you, but you spend money that you might get a great return on, or you might spend a lot of time on socials and get return there. You might spend a lot of time on socials and, you know, nobody cares. So it's, um, it, it's a, everything's a, a, a trial and error work in progress for sure. And Jackie wants to know, uh, if he needs to start an OnlyFans to support his work. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I've seen online that OnlyFans there there seems to be only millionaires on OnlyFans, so I think so. Yeah, that's everyone seems to be making money there. <laughs> also, uh, again, lightly touched on this earlier, but there are many people out there who believe that self-publishing their own comic or podcast will make them financially uh, prosperous. Do you believe this is easier said than done? And what advice would you give to new creators? Uh, looking to make a name for themselves, especially since like, yeah, I'll hit the gold mine by talking through a mic, you know, online or mm -hmm. writing my own comic book. <laughs> I would say for, you know, the podcast that it's make sure you kind of have thought out what you're going to do, do a couple test ones and figure out what your voice is and, 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 but don't be afraid to change it. Like if you're like six episodes in, you're like, you know what? I think I'd rather kind of do this. I mean, it's, it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want mm -hmm. for, for comics. I would tell people to start small, do like, you know, a single issue or even a digital and just kind of like, you know, put your toe into the, you know, the, uh, the pool and kind of see on a smaller scale, how everything works, like make your mistakes on the smaller projects than the larger ones. Mm -hmm. But here's something that's very interesting that not a lot of people uh, mention. Uh, with the Kickstarter and the crowdfunding communities, it is very important to be part of that community. That means that if you've never backed anything and you just show up with a, uh, you know, your first project, other backers look at that and see how many other projects you've backed. So they're less inclined to back you if you haven't supported the community already. So it's very important as a creator to also support the independent community. And because all of that, we, I mean, the, the goal is for the independent community to kind of make everything go in a circle, you right? Know, a rising tide, uh, you know, rises all boats. So you want to be part of that community and they want to help you the way and you want to help them at the same time. So make sure you're aware of what's out there and, you know, other people that you can support while asking people to support you. Awesome. And I just have two more questions for you. Sure. I like leaving uh, every podcast, sending every podcast on a on a good note. So if you could give your younger self any piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Focus. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to do too many things at once. <laughs> for sure. Were you trying uh, trying to you know dip your hand in multiple uh, pools or multiple pots, just trying to get into everything at once when you were younger? Absolutely, like I was doing stand up as I was going to film school, and I came out in L.A. I did the comedy circuit tour, and I was you know working for the improvs and you know working casinos at the same time trying to pitch. But then if I'm on the road, then I'm not you know in town for meetings, and you know there's mm -hmm. always a trade off, and there's always things you're gonna miss. And uh, like so, so those are things that I always thought. Well, should I have maybe just gotten a job in town in L.A. and then maybe done stand up locally, or like, but I, you know, yeah, then you have to make money, so you have to either go on the right. road or get a job. So I would say, you know, it's great to do multiple things, but try to pick like a couple of things that you're really passionate about and you want to spend the most time on, and you'll get further focusing than you will trying to do everything. Gotcha, understood. And lastly, uh, without breaking any NDAs, because I know those can be a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> do you have any shows, uh, any cons, any uh, other comics or any other projects that you can uh, briefly talk about without you know, getting into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, most of them 
No, and I can't. But, uh, <laughs> but there are a couple. Yes. Uh, one of them is, you know, Long Gone Far Away is um, we're working on that right now, a sequel, and that will be kickstarted hopefully in the next uh, couple of months. And we're really proud of that book. And that one seems to be a favorite, too, at uh, um, at cons. And that was in development at Starburns for an animated TV show for a while. The guys that did Rick and Morty. And that was always kind of a passion project for mine, mm-hmm. where it was basically the if guys from Clerks went into the Narnia <laughs> wardrobe and uh, just made things worse because they were assholes. And uh, so, but you know, I always saw that as a um, as a big epic story. But then, as I was kind of breaking it down, I'm like, no, there's more story to tell here. Like I'm seeing this more as a a trilogy that also kind of mirrors the different stages of our lives. It's the first part of never, um, never wanting to let go of our childhood, even <laughs> as, even if we're 30. The second part is going to be more about coming with the responsibility of adulting and uh, having children. Those are the underlying themes. I mean, it's still got, you know, witches, um, zombies, <laughs> dragons, and all of it. It's still, it's still a, a big fantasy comedy story, but uh, it has some of these underlying themes. And then kind of, I always thought that I would, you know, want to keep going to like, uh, how are you looking at your life you know, as you're getting towards the end of it, um, mm-hmm. through like a fantasy lens, the way, you know, um, um, uh, Bilbo kind of goes off with the elves into the horizon <laughs> onto the boat, like, <laughs> like that kind of like at the end of your journey kind of thing. Like I always felt like there's a lot to explore there and a lot of humor to mine as well. So that's nice. kind of the, the idea of that. <laughs> the, and that's, that's, I'm working on that, but that will definitely, I'm talking to the artist and the letterer, and that will definitely be launched hopefully in the next three or four months. Okay. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And definitely um, I will uh, give you a follow on, uh, actually, I think I'm already following you on Twitter. So once you uh, drop those, that news, I'll go ahead and, uh, you know, retweet. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anything to help out, you know, uh, and it all helps writer. Yes, it does. (laughs) And sorry, I forgot one last question. So where, where can we find you on your social medias online? What are your handles? Uh, the best place to kind of find everything is just go to whitecatentertainment.com. You could get the um, uh, the Facebook and the Twitters there as well as um, uh, the store is there as well. Uh, but for me personally, I'm Chris J. Mancini on Twitter and uh, White Cat Stories on Twitter. And uh, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not really active on Instagram yet, but that's one of, <laughs> that's one of my development areas. Remember, I'm talking I was talking about bandwidth. I have to uh, <laughs> expand the presence onto other uh, socials. And then there's I think some there's some White Cat Entertainment Facebook uh, page there as well. And uh, I'm at I think Chris. I'm trying to think if I'm at Chris J Mancini on Facebook, but it's White Cat and White Cat Stories also is a Facebook page. Awesome. And then uh, just to wrap this up, I uh, just want to say thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. It was a great opportunity to be able to talk to you and uh, got so much knowledge. So thank you so much again. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Well, thanks to um, you, Daniel and Jackie. This was great. Yeah. And lastly, you can find our website at gneaz.com or geek-network.com. And you can find us on all of our socials under Geeks AZ. And again, just Chris... Again, it was a pleasure. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Whitelist.io